Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Welcome to Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I am Andy Stewart. Lovely. And joining us this evening, you know her best, from the website, podcast, general media empire that is Zoba with a Shotgun, also the teeth episode of this show. Warm welcome back to Zoe Smith. Hello, thank you for having me back. Yeah, you're here after a, a long time away. I kind of felt like we had to give everybody a little bit of time to kind of mentally recover from uh, the teeth episode. Yeah, d- don't think that many people love hearing about, you know, teeth ripping dicks off. But <laughs> Bitey vaginas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> back with a kind of lighter choice this time, certainly a bitey vagina free zone. Um, mm. Repo the genetic opera. Yeah, a bit of a weird one, right? Weird choice. I would say so. I don't mind saying that I was uh, I was kind of surprised um, when you chose this. And chose it so quick when we started talking about uh, you coming back on this week. So why this one? Well, it was weird, actually. I was on Twitter and I saw this one um, mentioned a couple of times and hadn't thought about the film for absolutely years. Uh, but I used to watch it with my dad. I mean, we watched it way too many times. It was a bit, yeah, we got a bit obsessed with it at one point. Jesus. And then you guys obviously mentioned me and we're like oh what movie and i was like oh this is the perfect movie so here we are okay okay because i mean i'm not gonna lie like you know there's an element of knowing like we know what the kind of films that you're into sorry the kind of things that you tend to cover <laughs> so there's an element of knowing what you're signing up for when uh we ask you come on so i was a little bit surprised that you went for something mm. i love the fact that i'm saying that it's like oh considerably lighter when it's set in a dystopian future and it's about this kind of cutthroat <laughs> organ harvesting business yeah, I mean, it's quite dark in terms of, you know, what it what it covers. It's just perhaps not quite um, an August Underground film. No, 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 no. There's certainly <laughs> uh, less gore than most of the, the choices you would have chosen and certainly a lot less cocks. Yeah, yeah. I'm disappointed by the lack of cocks because, you know, usually I've got like a two and a half minimum. Sure. So. <laughs> I love that. I mean, does half cock refer to the size of the cock, like in a chody way, or does it refer to a, a severed one? Well, you could go many ways with it. You could go many ways, but usually severed. Yeah. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. Of, yeah. course, of course, of course. So, you know, you've got, yeah, like Antichrist. Kind of counts. Almost there. Uh-huh. Yeah, my assumption was that you meant severed, naturally. Mm. <laughs> um, Andy, your backstory with this one, then. Um, I didn't actually see this film until, I don't know, it must have been around 2012, maybe. Um, okay. Right about the time that The Devil's Carnival came out. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, because right about the time that was coming out, I still had the website, I was still writing for magazines and stuff like that. And I interviewed Emily Autumn, uh, who oh, yeah. was in The Devil's Carnival. And just mm-hmm. to kind of get a bit of ground in, in the kind of musical stuff that Terence, sorry to butcher his surname, I'm just going to say Zadunik. Mm-hmm. And Darren Lynn Bosom were making. I went back and watched 
repo at that point. So it was round mm. about 2012 or something like that that I saw this. Okay. Uh, what were your initial impressions and have you watched it since until tonight or today? My initial impressions, and this is coming from me, Mitch, as you know, as a fully-fledged musical lover, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I'm the man with the giant frankenfutter on his leg. Um, yep. mm-hmm. I didn't particularly like this. Okay. And I don't want to get too far into my, my feelings on the matter until we progress through. But what I will say is not too much has changed. Right. My first watch for this, unsurprisingly, was today, That's circa 6pm. I also, I would say like I'm a reasonable musical enthusiast as well. I am probably going to be a little bit kinder to this than you are, but I'm kind of curious to understand a little bit about what everybody thinks of it as we go on, to be honest. Sure, okay. Mm-hmm. Zoe, you've been here before, you know what's coming. For the benefit of anyone that is listening that hasn't seen Repo, how would you feel about giving us a 30 second synopsis? Oh God. I'll, I'll give it a go. About that, <laughs> I feel I feel like you know there was time to prepare for this, and I've decided to come in. Yeah, let's just, yeah. Go just come okay. in, reeking a gin. <laughs> um, Andy, thirty seconds on the clock. Yeah, man. Okay, right, Zoe. Here we go. Three, two, one, go. Set in a dystopian future. People have organ failure, and so they need uh, oh shit new or- <laughs> they need new organs. And a company called uh, Geneco are selling organs, and essentially you have a contract for your organ. But if you don't pay it back in time, uh, a repo man comes the organs out of your still life body and then there is a young girl and she finds out her dad is the repo man stop time uh, that'll do okay yeah didn't make it over the finish line but i think that's as much as people will need to know as a rough kind of framing yeah yeah and yeah. it did sound to me at least zoe who's held over 100 of these now that that was unprepared it was yeah i'm <laughs> you know what i'm happy with it yeah i'm happy we've had yeah. people yeah. come on and say they haven't prepared zoe and then they come out with what feels very much like written script <laughs> and who are we yeah, to argue they... with them we, who are we to argue i'm not going to start pulling up my guests calling them liars <laughs> <laughs> one thing i noticed about this and obviously this kind of uh came out in kind of rough synchronicity with the end of the saw franchise or at least the kind of concluding couple of installments of it sure um which were also directed by Darren Lynn Bosom. A lot of uh, mm-hmm. commonality of crew here, kind of when you see like Berg and Cools, those kind of names on it as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously released through Lionsgate and Twisted Pictures. This is very much cut from the mold of the Saw crew. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Um, which I think that I think that you can see a lot of that in some of the visual choices, and that's like I messaged Andy while I was watching it, saying that the entire general kind of aesthetic reminds me of how you see flashbacks in later Saw films. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, there is a, all the. I think all the flashbacks are shot on um, like sixteen mil or eight mil, uh, eight mil. I think. So they've really tried to give it that aged look. But I mean, mm-hmm. even seventeen years previous to when this film was shot, eight millimeter was an outdated format. I mean, I don't hate it as a visual choice. I think for something that's like trying to obviously give a kind of not. I'm not, I'm not hang on. F- hang on a fucking minute. We watched something recently on this very show where they cut to a sepia tint thing and showed you stuff we had already <laughs> seen earlier in the film. And you were like, that's preposterous. That's preposterous. It's the same. It's exactly the same. <laughs> that was Anaconda Offspring, and that, was, and that is not the same. 
Right. Um, I would like a brief roundtable on what everyone thinks of the because there are a few instances in this where exposition is fed to us through the kind of comic strips. Yeah. What do we think? I really like it. I think it's a good stylistic choice. I think it works better than a lot of the other exposition, which is delivered by people singing, like, right at you. Like Grave Robber. I love the... Uh, yeah, I'm the same. I really like the comic book bits. I think... I feel like at a time, it probably came out around... When did it come out? 2008? Yeah. I can't even figure out how old I was. But I think it was probably in my teens when I was like super into um, comic books and I liked kind of like that over stylized and over the top theme when it came to horror movies and things like that. So the comic book element really, really worked for me. I don't think it's necessarily needed. Mm -hmm. Um, I think maybe they could have found some other ways to go about it, but why not just throw in some comic book shit? I mean, they were already shooting stuff in 8mm, so there's an argument that they could have just either done the 8mm stuff as comic book, or they could have flipped that and did it all on 8mm and just showed us grainy 8mm flashbacks. But do you know what? It's one of the things, This that and the production design are two of the things that I really, really like about this film. I think that there's something in what you said about um, them either doing the comic strips or the flashbacks, because um, the first thing that we see basically, is the comic strip that opens this mm-hmm. um, tells us basically, Zoe, as you described in the synopsis, that we're in, uh, I think it's the year 2056. Um, there's an epidemic of organ failures. Millions of people are dying. Ginkgo are basically offering payment plans so people can get organ transplants, but kind of tried to remarket it and kind of like sex it up a bit, kind of make it feel like, like it's cosmetic surgery almost. Sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, obviously the downside to that is that if you can't keep up your payment, payments, uh, they come and hack your organs out of your body. <laughs> Yeah, did you notice they're also uh, offering race alteration? Which is weird because there's been two very public cases recently of white women pretending to be black for a long fucking time. So you don't need to get race alteration surgery, just lie. There's a simple solution. Yeah. <laughs> save yourself the money, save them, uh, presumably down the line coming and peeling off all your skin. Yeah, somebody should have passed this along to Rachel Dolezal. Also, organ financing, right? Do you remember years ago where there used to be places where you could rent a television? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Do you remember that, Zoe? Am I aging myself here? I know, Mitch, you, some, you fall somewhere in the middle. I don't think I rented a television, no. No, no, no. I, I never rented a television either. I, I well, came from a, a distinctly like middle-class family who could afford a television outright. Um, <laughs> but... There was these places where you could rent a TV and if you didn't keep up with your payments, then some guy will come around and just take back their property back to Rumbelow's. Yeah, so it makes sense. It's not that far-fetched of an idea. I mean, I'm not here to argue that as a business model. It's just very cutthroat. <laughs> I also kind of feel that the American medical system is not a kick in the ass away from this. Yeah, I mean, it could be happening. It could be <laughs> happening. You never know. I mean, I don't want to say too much, but you never know. It took until somewhere in the region of the 10-minute mark before somebody projected some socio-political commentary onto this film. (laughs) Good work, everybody. We also get acquainted with the Largo family here, who are basically kind of like billionaire organ tycoons. Yes. Um, I I actually think that as a setup and as a kind of basic premise, this is really cool. Like, um, I, I, I really like it. What I do think is interesting, though, is that we kind of become straight into the first song, uh, that introduces the Repo Men. And I, like, that was the point where I was kind of like, I feel like we could have done this or the comic strip. We could have done one or the other. Yeah, okay, because it is the same information to- just 
um, given to us in different ways. It's quite repetitive, um, <laughs> to say the least. And I do feel like when you get into that first song, it almost just feels like you've... I don't know, I'm not a huge musical fan usually, uh -huh. but it does feel like it's a bit kind of thrown at you very quickly. It's, 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 it's like pre previously on Repo, it's like, yes, I remember, it was 30 seconds ago. <laughs> Let's talk, can we talk a little bit about the Largo family here? Um, yes, I just certainly. want to say there are two people in this film who stand out to me vying for the MVP position, right? One of them is Paul Sorvino as Rotty Largo, yeah. who I think is yep. incredible for the, mm -hmm. the, the duration of the film. Bill Mosley's having a blast here. You could <laughs> pick his singing voice out of a lineup, even if you didn't know it was him that was on the screen. I think that Ogre from Skinny Puppy is pretty great as Pavi. And you know what? Yeah. I actually have a lot of time for Paris Hilton in this. She looks like she's having an absolute blast. I have like a secret love for Paris Hilton, especially because she was in House of Wax. Oh, and I, I think about 10 minutes into it, she gets horrifically murdered. And after that, I was like, yeah, I like you. And then she's <laughs> in this and I was like, you're not too bad. You're not too bad. I don't normally put a lot of stock in the decision-making process of the Razzies, right? But she won okay. the Worst Supporting Actress for this film at the Razzies. What? The same year that she won Worst Actress for The Haughty and the Naughty. I, I, <laughs> Poor thing! I, I, I think that is extremely unkind. I mean, I haven't seen The Haughty and the Naughty. I can't, I can't speak to that. It's terrible. It's really but, terrible. But I refuse to believe that that was the Worst Supporting Actress performance in any film that she's year. Really, she's, she looks like she's having a good time. I, I think yeah. she's quite good, yeah. 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 I think she really suits the role in some kind of weird way. Definitely. <laughs> I mean, it's like it's maybe not that weird, given that she plays a hedonistic heir to a giant business. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Don't even um, yeah like, maybe some mysteries just fucking solve themselves, don't they? But like, um, I think that she's doing fine here. I'll get into MVP chat later on when that character appears. But yeah, I think everyone's doing okay. Um, I think, I hope we're on the same kind of page here, Mitch, with our MVP. I have, well, it's, it's nobody we've mentioned so far, put it that way. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, we, we can do a round table on everyone's strongest, on everyone's strongest performance as they arrive. What we do find out here as well, though, is that Mr. Largo, uh, Rotti, Paul Servino himself, is terminal. Yes. Um, his his presumed mm -hmm. in-house doctor uh, relays this information to him, and he uh, does the classic bad guy trope of shooting the messenger, literally. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then he gets a wee song here, the first of many song. I can, I'm not even going to pinpoint every time anyone gets a song because everyone gets a song multiple times. But this is really him lamenting how shit his children are. Um, but at the same time, not offering up any kind of insight on who's going to take over Jinko after he dies. Well, I guess he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to talk about too much because they are all uh, they are all little shits. But, but I I quite do you know what I quite like his uh, character because he's made out to be quite like evil, but I don't think he comes across that way necessarily. What? Within the first 20 minutes, we know that he's, he's murdered at least two or three people that we know of. Yeah, I know, but he's not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely worse people than him, you know. 
Well, not, uh, yeah, that his many. kids are absolute shitbags, and he's probably yeah, exactly. He's probably the least bad at this point in the film. But you have to imagine for him to get where he is in his life and <laughs> his career, he's done some fucking terrible stuff. Yeah, but he's a you know he's a good businessman. Oh, he's clearly, a... clearly. <laughs> yeah, the kids Luigi, Pav, and Amber. The first time that we actually meet all of them, uh, they all individually drove me insane in their own unique, special ways. I really struggle <laughs> with Bill Mosley in this, I think, to be honest. I normally really like Bill Mosley, but he, he's too much. Yeah, I don't really like him in this. I think even when he has his, uh, when he has his song, it's a bit on the nose, but I do have to say about that song, there's some great lines in it. I really like when him and uh, Pavi are dancing around the girl on the ground who's just bleeding from a massive shard of glass that's jammed in her neck. Yeah, I mean, there's something kind of hot about Pavi when he's dancing around the the girl that's bleeding out in a really <laughs> messed up way. <laughs> I love a man with a removable face. Yeah, of course. They can be whoever you want them to be. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's a beautiful sentiment. Yeah. <laughs> mm. um, we do meet Shiloh at this point though very important indeed young girl confined to her bed because of what we believe to be a hereditary blood disorder well you're saying that no Mitch but at this moment she's not confined to her bed she is eating a sandwich and reading in a mausoleum <laughs> like any good goth girl would do <laughs> yeah that's right um, so she, she goes home and gets scolded by her dad Nathan Anthony Head there's a lot of things happen before she gets home though Mitch like she there's she, there's more exposition by way of song I've written down a standout line here which is kidneys <laughs> we have uh, we have uh, she meets grave robber here and we learn that he's siphoning a mysterious blue glowing substance out of corpses um, mm-hmm, yeah. which is a kind of crucial plot point but also not important at all um, <laughs> but then Grave Robber and Shiloh are caught by, I guess, the, the Jinko goons. And it seems like she's just taken home. Yeah. But at this point, I was just like, because they're, t- they're like trying to escape and then they're stopping. And I was like, stop fucking singing and just escape. <laughs> I like musicals, but they infuriate me. And I'm like, look, this to me is the found footage thing. Put the fucking camera down and run like fuck. Stop singing. Stop flailing your arms around in a, in a dramatic fashion and just go, 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 go. But Andy, if they did that, then we wouldn't have the masterpieces of found footage and repo the genetic opera. Yeah. So it's, not, it's not okay to have that. It has to, you have to just sing a song when you're about to be kidnapped. Andy, also, if, if you're going to do this every time, you have to suspend your disbelief, but in for a long night. Yeah, well, she's about to be executed anyway, ultimately, and she's saved by the repo man for reasons that will become clear very, very quickly. I heard this very quickly on the character of the grave robber, who I believe is played by Terence Adunich, who uh, who co-wrote this. (laughs) I feel like, because the grave robber feels pivotal to the story, but doesn't really do a great deal. And um, the songs that he has are to broadly outline the function of the repo men, which had already happened in the comic strip. Um, um, to sing a bit about robbing graves and later on to sing a song about the correct ways to administer Zydrate. Um, Which is such a tune. Oh, right. You know. He kind of guides us. He he bookends the thing and then he guides guides us from, like, Act 1 into Act 2 and 
so on and so forth to the end. So he, he's really guess, on the radar. Yeah, he is. And I think I really liked that aspect. It made me think of, I don't know, kind of like fantasy fairy tale type films mm. um i think it's very it's a very particular choice and i don't think in a a typical kind of like horror film or anything i'd ever want a narrator because it takes you away from the realism but i think with this i like that it's so not real at all like yeah. it's just mm-hmm. it's so out there I actually like the, the narrator device in this. I think it works in things like a musical. It works in things like stage shows. And I think, I mean, this was originally a stage show. So it's been tweaked and changed from a stage show into a short film and then into th- this feature length. So for me, I've got no problem with it. And I actually think that the character, I quite like the character in Grave Robber. I think his performance mm. is good. I like his singing voice. Um, he's one of the things that I, I, I do quite like about this. Okay. <laughs> withdrawn no um i i actually hadn't really considered that like he functions more as a narrator than a character but you say it i kind of see that in plain sight um and i would say that the song that he sings about zydra is definitely the best song from a musical i've ever heard that basically serves the same function as a medical pamphlet Um, but yeah, I think that we should probably dig into the uh, story of Shiloh and her father, Nathan. Yeah, okay. Uh, told to us is... in flashback. Yes, and uh, and comic strips. Yes. Actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Shiloh, she is, yeah, like uh, we understand, largely bedridden because of this blood disorder that she has. She's tended to by her dad, Nathan Wallace, played here by Anthony Head, who I had him written down as my MVP. I'm just going to say it now. He's my shout. But I think that what I mean by that is he's the one that I think throws himself into this the most we're on a different page with regards to her mvp but we'll get to that then um yeah i, I think anthony head's pretty good in this uh he got the role because of the buffy episode once more be feeling from season season six <gasps> okay which is one of my favorite buffy episodes ever so maybe that's the reason why i like this so much because when i watch repo to me, he's still Giles. It's just like his <laughs> his life after Buffy. This is nice. what went on to happen. <laughs> and his, his daughter was in the in-betweeners, if I remember correctly. Really? Yeah, she's like the, the blonde one that, he, that Will fancies in the first couple of series. The no. Oh, From okay. school. Yeah. Jesus, Charlotte Big Tits. Um, uh... <laughs> Uh, that is a funny way to pronounce Emily Atak, Andy. Okay. <laughs> yeah, she's his daughter. Yeah. Oh, right, okay, no, I had no idea. Yeah. Um, I think that another reason, I guess, that this might bring that to mind then is that, because a lot of these songs are largely kind of like song spoken, and Anthony Head mm-hmm. is probably one of the characters that does the most like actual singing. Yeah. yeah. I've got to say, anytime Alexa Vega gets a song, and she gets a kind of mean song here, I think the stuff she gets is quite cringy. Yeah. Very cringy. This song's pretty cringy. They're they're all very kind of angsty and um, about how much, how trapped she feels in her relationship with her dad. Uh, this one's quite bad. It contains such classic lines as "Why are my genetics such a bitch?" and then <laughs> are repeatedly chanted. That's what is expected when you are infected. Uh, I don't know. It just this whole thing just had me like curling up into myself, like like worse than watching Bora or something like that. Like, I was pure cringing, like, ugh, I feel so bad yeah, for her. Yeah, I mean, I don't know who wrote the lyrics for the movie, but it wasn't um, 
it reminded me I mean I loved Metallica and sometimes if you listen to their lyrics like the grammar is so so bad <laughs> and it reminded me of exactly that when I was watching this like there some of the lines in there are so bad that you have to like them mm. like how can you not like the really bad rhyming Bits um, of it. Zoe, I resolutely refuse to listen to a Metallica lyric past 1996. The only thing that I wrote down about the lyrics of this was sequestered does not rhyme with collection. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a bit here when we're kind of we're kind of learning a little bit about uh, I was going to say Giles, but in fact we'll just call him Giles about uh, Giles and Shiloh's relationship. Um, and then there's some more angsty back and forth about how she's locked up, how she's dying, how uh, whose fault is this? Um, and then the camera pulls out, and it very much looks like the opening shot from Evanescence's "Bring Me to Life." <laughs> <laughs> I think actually her wig was Amy Lee's. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of wigs, when we get the flashback, the wig on the child in the flashback is fucking outrageous. I didn't notice they'd put a wig on a child. <laughs> It's it's amazing, honestly. It makes her heed about twice as tall. As is it, it is. a baby? It must and be. No, no. She's like, nah. She's like, she's um, kind of like toddler age. But um, it's it's sensational. Go oh. back and look at. It. She looks like Tina from Bob's Burgers. I really hoped they had put one of those long black wigs on a baby. <laughs> um, I think we should connect some story dots here uh very quickly because uh we are it is related to us inevitably through comic strips that obviously shiloh's mom nathan's wife is dead Marnie. yeah she had um like we understand that she had the same blood disorder that uh, shiloh now has she was once with uh roti himself abandoned him uh, left him to go be with nathan Basically, it got to a situation where only one of them could live between uh, Marnie and Shiloh, I mean. And Shiloh lives and Marnie dies. Correct, yes. Yeah. And yeah. I believe that's all the information that we are fed about this at this point. Yeah. That's right, yeah. Yeah, that like Nathan had kind of tried to cure both of them using his questionable medical credentials. Uh, yeah, and kind of got to a point where it had to be one or the other. I actually think that Anthony had song here where he's kind of pleading to Marnie for help or like kind of I guess kind of screaming to the afterlife for assistance and uh, how yeah, long she's been does. gone and how much he misses her. I think this is probably my favourite song in the film. It's not um it's not a great song though. <laughs> I wrote, I, I'm essentially trying to roll a shite and glitter and pass it off as a diamond. See, <laughs> what I would say about the songs in this were that like I didn't there were very few that came and went and I was like that was fucking shite. But also, there weren't that many where I was like, oh, that was also very memorable. Like, I don't think I really had either of those feelings that often. Um, I actually, I, I like this song as well, actually. But um, I think that a lot of the songs are basically just people kind of saying exposition poems over kind of like Marilyn Manson liked industrial. Yeah, yeah. It's very well, industrial, which, very kind of new metal industrial soundtracked here. Which, well, like, I'm not jabbing at it for that reason, but it's like, I just, like, I think that it kind of all kind of sort of coalesces into one large song um, yeah. for the most part. I did actually wonder, I got to the end of it and I was like, did this need to be a musical? Fair question. 
<laughs> I think the answer is absolutely never it should have been a musical, but it is. <laughs> And that's why it's so good. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a fucking outrageous assertion about a film that you chose. That is a musical. I mean, it's it's a bold. I think it's a bold choice. But I mean, at the same time, this is an eight million dollar film. This wasn't a cheap fucking film. Like fucking so, hell, as bold that's a choice a as it money. is, it, there's a lot of money behind it to to get it right. And I don't know if they do. I just feel, and I think it might be one of the reasons that I have this like love for it. It just feels like someone went sat around a table with loads of people, and everyone had really good ideas, and someone just went, "Nah, fuck you! I've got eight million, and I'm just making whatever the fuck I want." And they did it, and everyone went, "Yeah, all right, let's." It's uh, definitely yeah, that. Fair, fair enough, mate. That's what you made, and then it was that. Could you imagine that now, though? Like. <laughs> Like, like someone who's like who's the principal credits, I would say it's the things are best known for are kind of like latter and more reviled and less profitable Saw sequels. And I'm pretty sure that film Jackals was like, <laughs> I want to make an industrial goth rock musical about organ harvesting that is set in the year 2056. And somebody somewhere was like, here is eight million dollars. <laughs> Children are starving in Africa. Here is eight million dollars to make I'm your organ harvest. <laughs> There's been shiter films made for a lot more money. You know what? You're not wrong. You're so, not wrong. That's fair. I'd rather watch 50 repo the genetic operas than watch one Transformers Dark Side of the Moon or whatever the fuck it's called. Yeah, same. And I don't even particularly like this film. <laughs> God, I've totally lost the place. I'll tell you where we're at. We get a brief return to see the Largo brothers bickering again about who's going to be in charge of Jinko upon the death of their father. And we get an extremely disturbing scene of Bill Mosley thrusting, which I don't ever want to see again. <laughs> Aye. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a once is too many vibe about that, no. Yeah. Also, during this sequence when uh, I can't remember which of the two siblings it is that's bickering, I think it's maybe uh, Paris Hilton and uh, Bill Mosley, when in musicals they do that thing where two characters sing at each other at the same time on yeah. the same rhythmic pattern and they say different things, I completely lose the ability to listen to either of them. <laughs> like, um, it's like when you're on the phone and somebody in the room tries to talk to you. It was a sing like, argument. I, it's like, I, I just immediately, I just immediately shut down. I, and it's, it's like, I say, it's not the film's fault at all. But when two people start singing over each other in that way, it's like, right, I'm just going to have to hope that what happens next explains what just happened because I don't know. <laughs> Shiloh receives a message on her hologram watch. Sure. <laughs> Which is awesome. Just another awesome part. This 17-year-old girl receives a, a message on her hologram watch. Essentially what happens is the most powerful criminal slash businessman in the world slides into her hologram watch DMs and says to her, <laughs> Hey, I was a pal of your dead mum's. Do you fancy coming to a party tonight? And without a second's thought, she's like, yeah, I'm going to go to a party with this old man. I'm just putting it out there, but absolutely at, like, age of, what is she, like, 16, 17? 17, 17, yeah. I would have 100% gone to a party with a creepy old man. Like, I would have been like, yeah, that's edgy as fuck. That's goth rock. Well, it's made edgier <laughs> and more goth by the fact that he says, meet me in our tomb. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You'd be like, fuck yeah, I'm going to meet this old, creepy man in a tomb. Like Jesus Christ, Zobo. <laughs> this, is, this is a fascinating peek behind the curtain. 
So wait, I would, if you were my daughter, you would be locked up in a tower? Yeah, my dad tried that one and, you know, next thing I'm in the tomb with the creepy old men, so. <laughs> <laughs> it just drove her right into the creepy old men arm. <laughs> and the world keeps turning. Uh, and there's a, another flashback here where we do learn a bit more about Rotty's relationship with Mommy and with Nathan. And we learn here no fucking about that in fact Rotty poisoned the medicine that was then administered to Marnie causing her to die I do wonder here and maybe I was not paying enough attention but does he do it on purpose or was it an accident he does it to punish Nathan but did he mean for it to be for Marnie because it seemed like maybe he might have not I don't know why I like defending him but I was gonna say. I was, I was gonna say. This is all. You're all. You're just trying to prop up your narrative that Roddy's quite a nice guy, Billy. Yeah, he's he's an <laughs> <Right>. absolute cunt. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's it's. I think that like uh, it's it says a lot to how kind of cutthroat he is. That it's his like former lover, but he kind of kills her as a punishment. Kind of, he kind of just uses her as a chess piece and kind of like getting at Nathan. Yeah, yeah, but we we get we get this in uh we get this we get this in comic book form. This was the point where because I, I I'm not gonna lie, like I, I I had a hard time with like the first act of this. I really wasn't sure if I was gonna find a kind of road in, and mm-hmm. it was around this point that I started to acclimatize to the style of the music and the visual style and where the story was going and how it was all being relayed. And it was at this point that the ice kind of started to melt a little bit for me. Uh huh. Okay. So. Rotty picking up Shiloh to go to the party. She is understandably like very freaked out by the way that this happens. Um, because I know that she was invited and everything, but her getting picked up and actually taken to this thing plays out like a kidnapping. Well, it's those two weird <laughs> matching sidekicks that turned up. <laughs> yeah, it's not really like the nicest way to be picked up to a party, to be honest. Kidnapped no. by like psycho twins. <laughs> She's well, like. And she's in the car and they're taking her to the thing and uh, like her watch is bleeping that she needs to take her medicine and, and she's like, I have a blood disease! <laughs> and just like, for fuck's sake, man. Like, just roll her into the street. Roll her into the gutter. Open the door. Be gone. I do feel like with the blood disease, though, like it always seems on the cusp of getting really bad, but nothing happens with it. And I know she takes her tablets, but it seemed like really anticlimactic every time she was like, oh, I need my tablets. I don't want to jump too far ahead, but at the end, she's fine. Yeah, she just that's what I mean. She's okay. like, I don't know. I think maybe she's playing up to it a bit. <laughs> Typically. I think it's funny as well that um, Rotty starts singing to her and he's like, why do you hide your pretty face? And she's like, I have a blood disease. And he's like... <laughs> And it's like, but he obviously, you know, he treats this like new information. And all he knows is that she has a blood disease. And she's like, I have a blood disease. And he's like, lucky for you, I have the antidote. And she's like, you didn't know about this four seconds ago. There's nothing suspicious about that at all. Let's go to this party. (laughs) (laughs) Got to do what you got to do for your antidote. Well, we get a little bit more kind of backstory here as we get to the party. By the way, when we arrive at the party... Does anyone remember the golden times when red cellophane advisors indicated that you were in the future? Mm-hmm. Like Kylie Minogue videos. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's, 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 it's sold dystopian future right out of the gate. It's so stupid. You know, it's funny now that everyone's walking around with a plastic visor on, so hey, maybe it's right. I think it might be. I think this film might actually be, you know, perhaps where we, uh, where the world heads after the pandemic. <laughs> I'm kind of um, in a place where I can't really argue with that. 30, 36 years from now. <laughs> yeah, it feels quite reasonable as like the next step. 
Yeah, I, I feel like I feel like the arc where everyone eventually sort of gets the vaccine, everybody is kind of mostly fine and we're kind of normal in like a year from now, sounds just as plausible to me as 36 years from now, it's basically this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'll um, be 76. Jesus. Wow. <laughs> I'll be dead. Who am I kidding? Wow. You you won't be in the play, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you want to take that as. <laughs> like, I mean, you might get a visit from the grave robber, but you won't know he's there. <laughs> we meet our uh, my MVP. Okay. Here, Blind Mag. Blind Mag, yes. Yeah, uh-huh. played by Sarah Brightman. Um, yeah, I think she's incredible here. She's far and away the most impressive singer. Yeah, she, I think she's just great. Do you know what I think? Out of all the characters, she's perhaps the only character in this that I actually feel some empathy for. Sure. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's really even Shiloh. Shiloh, I find to be fucking annoying. Agreed. I think Blind Mag is yeah the only really kind of nice one. I'm gonna just install from this point on that we refer to her as Mag because this woman is an extraordinary singer, an incredible performer, and should not be defined by her physical imperfection. Yep, happy Fair. with it. Yeah. Zoe, at this point, because me and Andy have named ours, who's your MVP in this? <sighs> I don't know. I mean, no one's <laughs> amazing, are they? <laughs> <laughs> you fucking chose this. I know, and I really like it, but, you know, it's shit, but I like it. Like, that's that's why I wanted to choose it, because I was like, oh, it's so bad, I can't wait to watch it again. Yeah, well, that's fine, yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> I think for me, it has to be um, Anthony Head. He is, right. okay. He's definitely okay. the one that, that leads it. But I also, I do really like the guy that plays Pavi. All right, okay. But mm-hmm. that's just because it's, uh, I don't know, I just like his character with the mask. I think that, like, there's a lot of hard leaning into the theatre of it there, though, which I think is kind of, like, which I think kind of meets the tone of the film pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. There's another song here where uh, fucking Shiloh's Mad Heart Monitor starts getting off again, like, it just does constantly. And uh, Anthony Head's in the middle of slaughtering someone and he phones her to check that she's okay. <laughs> and the conversation basically goes, like, have you taken your medication? And, and she's like, yes! And then she's like, are you harvesting organs that have been defaulted upon? And he's like, no! And it's like, it's just it's so fucking weird, like, it's it's preposterous it just cuts back and forward between the two of them i think that's one of the things that the film i mean i think in some ways it's really fun and it makes uh i mean there's one line later which makes me cry with laughter my notes are just like a paragraph of ha has but i think the that they didn't need to perhaps have as many conversations in musical form they could have had maybe you know like actual conversations and then really good songs instead of mm. just like random phone calls. Hard agree. Like sung through musicals, net my heed. The so thing much. to remember though is it is called Repo the Genetic Opera. And that's true. By its that's nature, true. opera's pretty much entirely sung. And Andy, there's a, a, a nice a nice little uh, flex of like lexicon muscle there. Very good. You're, you're right. quite you're, right. You're, you're right. quite right. <laughs> I, I'm, I find it jarring. I've been to the opera, right? But I find that Jaren, in this context, where I'm more directly trying to keep up with what is quite a complicated narrative. 
it is complicated, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. You know what? Like, 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 because we're kind of we're kind of having a laugh about it. I didn't want to be the first one to admit it, but I sat with the Wikipedia plot synopsis open on my phone while I was watching it to making sure that I was getting all my narrative ducks in a row when I was taking my notes because this is all over the shop story wise. Do you know what? It is actually a really confusing film. It's like, <laughs> and I think if you don't read one of the other problems, and I mean, I know I picked this and I really like it, but there are a lot of fucking problems with it. Mm-hmm. Um, is the fact that if you look away for a second when they're doing those comic book things, you've got no fucking clue what's going on. I mean, if you miss a bit of that kind of like backstory in certain places, you're just kind of going, uh, mm, yeah, not sure what this next bit is, but looks good. Thank you. <laughs> I um, I learned that the hard way the first time that I tried to write any notes during a comic book sequence. Cause like, cause like, I looked down to write, then I looked up, and I was like, "Oh wait, fuck, who's that guy?" <laughs> Which basically meant that, like, I realized after that that I was like, "Right, okay, I'm gonna have to watch the comic book section in full, retain all of that information, and then write it down." And then they last like six minutes, and I was like, "I can't do this. I'm only one man." But then there is so much futuristic world building delivered in song that is and i don't mind saying it is incredibly difficult to keep up with at times because you're like there's future drug names involved there's all sorts of stuff it's baffling it it really is so i get that it's all supposed to be sung because it's in an opera form and the whole end of the film there's this whole kind of reliance on the opera but yeah i just could have done with some bits where it was a little bit straighter guys i'm very vindicated by the fact that we've all admitted that this is a hard film to follow i was very concerned that i was going to get to a midpoint and be like i have a question i didn't know what was happening and you were going to be like why idiot (laughs) 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 so like so so thank you for that off we go then to the Genco Fair. I think it is very weird that the company that um, has the monopoly <laughs> on the organ harvesting market is throwing lavish vaudevillian parties. But who am I to argue? It's 2056. Uh, you know, it's like these big companies that we have now throwing all these little, you know, charity parties and things to supposedly uh, give back to the to the small people, you know, make them happy with a bit of cotton candy. Oh, <laughs> I work in marketing. That's how we do it. You know, That's take good. all your money and go, oh, but we are going to give you a one pound hot dog. And everyone goes, oh, that was so nice. <laughs> wow. You Talk to shop for a second there. Yeah. Uh, we get uh, another song here about Zydrate, pretty close by here, which I think a couple of you have said is a song that you really like. With Paris Hilton. Yeah. Oh. This part, and I'm not gonna lie, like maybe maybe this is a bit creepy. Is this this is like a really sexy part of the film? <laughs> no. <laughs> just, I mean, just, just gonna let that hang in the air for a second. It's sexy in so much as Paris Hilton's not wearing many clothes. But to me, there's a very similar scene in Cats. Oh, don't talk about cats. And I, and I found Randy, it. you just ruined it. <laughs> I've ruined cats. Now you've ruined everything. <laughs> the far superior, um, the far superior film. I, th- I, I think I know what you mean, Zoe. It's like, it's it's kind of like, it's a, it's a very like overtly sexual bit, I think. I don't know. It reminded me of a lot of kind of, oh, I'm trying to think of a... A good example but it reminded me a bit of like sin city or something like that obviously it's not nowhere near 
you know, Society is a much better film. But I think it's that just kind of element of sensuality with the griminess of the alleyway and the girls and the rain and everything. I think it creates like quite a cool, sexy atmosphere. And Paris yeah. Hilton's going for it. Like she's she's grinding all upon him. Yeah, but you know, grave rubber. He's got his little zydrate gun, and the gals are all you know pining for the zydrate. I don't know. It's like crackheads gone wild in um, like a sexy way. I mean, like I'd like I I I, I, I did like I mean like I mean I do agree with you, weirdly, um, but um, I did also write down that because obviously this is kind of like um, Shiloh gets a little bit uneasy at the Genoco Ball, which is. <laughs> fucking understandable the grave robber helps her escape and yeah basically what we're seeing here everything that you've said is correct but you're basically watching all these people who are like zydrate dependent and i would wager when they are not doing sexy musical numbers have fucking horrible lives yeah but we don't have to watch that bit we just watch the sexy <laughs> musical bit so cut to the I sexy don't feel part. bad <laughs> um don't want to blow past we, we do talk about we do meet blind mag here as we discussed she is so called because of her blindness um <laughs> Uh, we learned in a comic strip that she was friends with Marnie back in the day. Uh, Rotty cured Mag's blindness. We are told that uh, she didn't realise that the contract was signed in blood, presumably because she couldn't see when it was signed and presumed it was ink. Um, you but, can really get blind people to do a lot of things, can't you? Like... Because <laughs> <laughs> um... she had no idea that her eyeballs are owned by Gene Coder and they're coming after her. Like... I, I, I think they took advantage of this pool of a lot of me. Just a bit. <laughs> yeah, she's she's property of Jinko effectively for as long as basically they consider her to be like useful. So they basically, from what I can tell, she kind of just gets wheeled out for corporate events and sings a bit. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but that, I just I wanted to touch on that because obviously it becomes a little bit important later. Amber Paris Hilton. Uh, she has once again disgraced her family by skipping out and giving a speech at this carnival. We like we we kind of we kind of get that while Shiloh gets home before Nathan kind of knows that she's gone. I think a really good kind of like moral quandary comes up here. Another probably one of my favorite parts of the film actually, when Rotty summons Nathan to his office and basically says, "Your next mission is kind of harvesting the eyes of uh, Mag." And then obviously it's his his kind of his dead wife's best friend, and he has this kind of moral quandary. But the way this actually plays out, where they kind of like emotionally exploit his affection for both his wife and mag and because of his kind of like involvement in her death to kind of strong arm him into doing it it looks like he's gonna and then he kind of quits mid-surgery on someone else yeah <laughs> i think that the whole the whole way this plays out is really good and i think that probably in terms of like it hitting an emotional beat it's probably one of the best ones or one of the kind of only ones this film really lands. I mean, I think that's kind of like some of the sweetness of the film is I don't think it always succeeds. And I think in this scene, like you said, Mitch, it does. But I think it does try to get us emotionally invested in the characters. It does try to show that, you know, they do have, or at least some of them do have moral compasses. And, you know, for instance, Anthony Head's character, like you said, he um, he has a lot of loyalty to his wife. He does what he thinks would be best for his daughter. It's not quite as surface level as it should be for for this kind of film. Like it, it does try to go a bit deeper. Mm. 
Yeah, whether it succeeds or not, it does try to do the work in that way. Well, I feel that the heavy lifting it tries to do in this segment is immediately undercut by the punk song that Shango <laughs> sings round about here, where she put she now has like a a long black highlighted wig, and uh, it's just there's there's a band out of nowhere and dancing teddy bears. I, I was like, no, I, I, I wanted to disappear up in it my own arsehole. Uh, Joan Jett has a cameo in this scene playing, uh, playing the guitar. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the song that she sings about th- this this absolute fantasy about her having autonomy over her own decisions now she's 17 kind of feels like the point where Unfabulous and Avril Lavigne meet in the middle. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> but that, for me, that one is one of my favourite scenes because I think when I watched it, that was probably like literally my genuine vibe. Like yeah. how I was acting, you know, hate the world. Dad was the worst person in the world. Had dyed my hair some horrific colour. <laughs> Wanted to leave the house. To be honest, it's a bit how I'm feeling at the moment. It's just, you know, <laughs> screaming in my bedroom, being like, fuck the world. But yeah, I, I really like it. Like, it's awful, but I love it so much. Like, it's kind of got that teen, angst, angry pop girl. It sums it up. Like, I can see it that was just me and my friends when we were 17. I mean, I get it. I know why it's in there, right? Uh But I just, uh, I I really struggle watching it. But I'm guessing, Mitch, this feels like something you quite liked. What, this this actual sequence? Yeah. Um, I think that like is a stretch. I would say that... um, (laughs) Tolerated. I would say that, like, I I completely agree with what you guys are saying in that I think that I, I completely understand its purpose. And Zoe, it's interesting, and it's not something I'd considered. Um, but when you say it, it's like, like people have those phases, and that's how people's brains function when they're 16, 17. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, it's not, it's so like, I mean, it's like, it's very easy for me to sit as a 34 year old man being like, oh, that's stupid, but it's not for me. <laughs> you know? Like, I, w- I would say that, like, um, point to Zoe there, I would say, actually, because that's something that I came in being like, that's stupid. And now I'm like, I understand why that's there. I get it. <laughs> yeah. And I think maybe it's one of the reasons uh, my dad liked it as well, because he was like, I think we both just watched it at the perfect time when that was very, obviously without the organ harvesting and surgerying, all those bits. But, you know, that kind of relationship was quite relatable. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Next up, we get a kind of moment of contemplation from uh, Rotti, who has correctly concluded that all of his biological children are shrill and competent ingrates and is going to put all his eggs in the teenage recluse with the hereditary blood disorder basket and make Shiloh the sole heir to Jinko. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> wild decision, um, but fair enough. Yeah, this is basically the Fuck My Kids song. <laughs> That's totally what it is. Uh, but then it becomes one of those ensemble numbers where everyone's kind of doing their own thing and coming together for the final kind of showdown and everyone's got their own little singing bit and then it all kind of climaxes. I'm sure there's a much quicker musical term for what I'm describing here. But yeah, they're, they're all kind of singing their bit, all coming together into one big crescendo and then it brings us both opera. Yeah, this song ladles a bunch of stuff on there to the point that it's like teetering on the edge of being kind of incoherent. But like, it makes it, and I think that you're right. I think that that it's exactly what it's there to do. It's to set up the stakes for what will effectively kind of be our final showdown of sorts at the actual opera itself that this ends on. Yeah, like Nathan, he's going to get revenge on Rotti. At this point, you would get a little tooling up montage. We see Shiloh 
getting dressed in her mum's finery to go and ha- like have this kind of night at the opera. We see all the, the Largos. We obviously know by this point that Rotty's planning on giving the company away. We still have the other two arseholes, three arseholes, if you count Paris Hilton's character, who now has a face that looks a bit like a California raisin yeah. <laughs> and she's they're all still kind of bickering about who's ultimately going to be the heir to this empire mm-hmm. so Rotti invites Shiloh to the opera again under the proviso of giving her an antidote for her blood disorder this worked out great last time so much so that she goes in for doing it again while Nathan dispatches Jinko soldiers I actually think it like Anthony Head again it's maybe because I don't have the massive affection for Buffy that some people have probably just because I haven't seen that much of it sure. so the thing that I know Anthony Head best from weirdly is from playing the Prime Minister in Little Britain <laughs> Jesus Christ <laughs> that's that's not good <laughs> it's, it's really not and as the years go by history is getting progressively more and more unkind to that <laughs> so like i should probably get my shit together on that one but i think that like i like watching him like the sequence where he heads outside and just kind of he gets set upon by all these kind of jinko goons and he just like dispatches them all it's cool watching him be a badass in this mm, yeah i remember i mean i was a huge buffy fan like ridiculously huge my life became a bit obsessed with it but giles was always like the unsung hero and to me he was always kind of like the the cool dad figure and i think you know i think maybe they saw that in buffy and went fuck it let's put him in repo and make him an even cooler dad figure and he just works in this he is cool yeah no i I agree and like yeah if that's the kind of character he plays in buffy then maybe that is just kind of like following that to his logical conclusion yeah i think so i mean i don't think i've seen him in much else than buffy in this but i don't know maybe his vibe is you know just cool dad like nick cage has got his rage vibe maybe (laughs) anthony head is just cool dad vibe yeah the opera that we end up going to here is absolute lunacy. It is predominantly made up of just kind of glowing testimonials from people who have had organ transplants. Well, <laughs> there is that, right? And that stuff's quite weird. But when we're talking about kind of badasses and cool shit here, when Mag does her final performance, this is incredible. Like, this, I think this whole set piece is really great with the snow. And then at the end when she's like essentially she's like look i'd rather be blind and plucks her own eyes out on stage <laughs> that stuff's fucking awesome i like it i like mag just pulling her eyes out and saying uh a big fuck you and i guess it's quite in some ways quite symbolic mm-hmm. to the whole film and to you know everything that's going on and i know i've said like oh rotty's not that bad but obviously you know the corporation that he's runs essentially is is a pretty disturbing concept to have you know your own to have the organs that are in your body yes transplanted but owned by a company that could essentially just come and take them so i quite like you know when mag does just take her own eyes out with her long nails it's very stylish it is yeah and you're right it's kind of like it's it's kind of like what drives the entire story that we're watching is the notion of your organs being owned by somebody else is kind of her taking ownership back of hers yeah yeah it's quite do you know what it's quite a moving moment actually because like we said you know i think mag is the one person that maybe out of everyone is easiest to emotionally connect with Uh uh-huh like a lot of that comes out of the performance i would say i mean like and i think that actually 
it says a lot that the kind of emotional heft of this isn't undercut by the fact that this is immediately followed by Rotty hitting like a roadrunner style trapdoor. Yeah, and she goes <laughs> crashing down on her friends. Because I think that like, like if that moment hadn't been handled right up till then, that would have been really fucking silly, but it's just kind of sad when it happens. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Shiloh attacks a repo man backstage. Um, at this point, I had actually oh. forgotten that she didn't know that her dad was a repo man. So when she hit him in the head with a tire iron, I was like, the fuck are you doing that for? It's your dad. And it's then I realized, right, she doesn't it's know. Funnier, it's funnier than that. It's a shovel, right? It's like, <laughs> it's like that bit in Home Alone where uh, the South Bend shovel killer guy who's not a killer uh, hits them with a the shovel. Uh, it's uh, Harry and Marv. Like, it's so funny. I was like, where the fuck did she get that shovel? And also, it comes with such a comedy. Pang! Like, <laughs> I, 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 I laughed so hard. I'm such a fucking child. <laughs> right. Let's talk about how this resolves itself because this gets pretty crazy. What I would also say is that, like, so all of the main players in this, the Largo children, Rotty, Nathan, uh, Shiloh, they're all on stage. We understand what the stakes are. If I was in the audience watching this, I'd be like, what in the living hell is going on in front of me right now? That audience <laughs> runs the absolute gamut of emotions if you watch them from clapping to cheering to jeering uh, to, like, tears. Ultimately, like, they're all stunned into silence. This is the best. This, this is the greatest opera that's ever been put on stage. I would be so stoked to see this play on stage. Like, you go to the theatre and you think you're just getting, you know, like a simple opera, and you get this. It's, it's awesome. Every opera kind of <laughs> ends like this to an extent, but uh, <laughs> maybe not quite as realistically gory. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that um, this film had ended with a series of spinning newspapers with reviews of this opera. <laughs> it kind of does, though. There's, like, isn't, isn't there like uh, bits like that at the end of this? Um, there's, oh, there's a fair whack of press at the end of this because Rotty's trying to basically see through his grand plan of making Shiloh the heir. He reveals at this point that Nathan's been poisoning her medicine Yeah. in an attempt to... Like, my understanding of this, and again, this is the point where I was like, am I picking this up wrong? Or is this, is this kind of how this plays out? So Nathan has been kind of like, basically kind of keeping her at a baseline level of ill. <gasps> That's just dun, hit dun, me. Dun. Yeah, I've just understood that. It's like a Munchausen syndrome thing. Yeah. Um. So like, I was like, is he lying to turn her against him? And then when he was like, oh. and then you see him apologizing to her and being like, oh, I did this terrible thing. I was like, fucking hell, that's actually a great twist. That yeah, basically because the uh, of like the manner in which he lost his wife is kind of like, and obviously kind of she died. around. What did she? Oh. Was he poisoning her as well? Oh, Christ. Oh, Jesus. Because they have the Maybe exact it's... same condition. They do. This is a wild time. So like, did, Oh, like, gosh. Oh, can I project an unreliable narrator uh, thing onto this? What if it's all from his perspective? So Roy is kind of the good guy. Oh, was I right all along? (laughs) I'm so so fucking fucking onto something. (laughs) I'm so fucking thick. I didn't get that at all. I was like, so how come she can just walk away now? Is she not fucking dying? Of course she's not. Of course she's absolutely fine. She's been offered medicine, which is like a good thing because her medicine was making her ill. I'm such a fanny. Right. Uh, no. To, to 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 be fair, like I mean, like I, at this point, I have no idea what the intention was, like, um, <laughs> or ultimately, really, what we get. But I think that we've shamalaned this a little bit, and I'm quite happy with it. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I, I genuinely think that's what's happened. He's been po- he was poisoning the wife to keep her kind of 
complying and kind of kind of supplicant to him there's definitely something a bit fucked up with him because he is a repo man well you'll notice as well that anytime there's a scene of him as the repo man he is manically unhinged right like that one where he's got the guy in the chair and he's just stabbing the fuck out of him yeah and it does and it doesn't add up it doesn't yeah. happen at all because mm. you see him having this inner conflict when he's by himself being like, oh, it's so terrible being a repo man. What a terrible situation I'm in. And then he's having an absolute fucking ball when he's like, killing people. His whole persona, his voice, everything changes when he's a repo man. Yeah. Oh a- my God, guys. This film just got even better. Come like, on. Did we just watch the best film ever made? <laughs> this, this, this film just gained a star. Um... Uh, Shiloh cannot kill her father despite all of these revelations. However, Rotti can. Fatally shoots him and uh, Shiloh says a tearful farewell and forgives him in death for all the awful things that he's done. But all the awful things that we've just realised that he's done. <laughs> or all the evil <laughs> shit that we just made up. Uh, and then, yeah, Rotti just copes over dead, finally. Uh, his uh, terminal illness has caught up with him. Uh, maybe the most inopportune or most opportune moment ever. Yeah, to be to, to be fair, his heart's probably just exploding from shock from all the revelations. But not like um, uh, no, nah, he he kills over. He's done. Shiloh also, I think, and again, it's a good it's a good resolution for Shiloh's arc as well that she could, by rights, have kind of taken the company. The contract was there to sign. She doesn't do it. She kind of says or kind of comes to the conclusion that the dreadful history of her family and the dreadful history of this situation isn't going to dictate her future she just kind of storms out with her and goes off to be her own person which i think is probably the best resolution that we could have had for her it's right. the right resolution Agree. but if someone was like just handing you their ridiculously profitable company i feel like you could maybe get involved for a little bit before you head off. I don't know, man. That feels very much like the beginning of some kind of Roman downfall thing. Like, I think the minute you get into bed with those three fucking siblings, you're going to be dead in a matter of days. Like, I mean, if you're going off to be a own person, then yeah, you could, you could like, inherit a giant company, then just, like, skim a little off the top and go have a bit of a eat, pray, love to yourself. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, you know, you don't have to run it. You don't have to necessarily get too involved with the, with the siblings, but you could, you know go, I'll take this little bit just to help pay for the flights and all that, and well, then, like, like Jared, then you're good. Like Jared Kushner's done. Yeah, pretty, like, yeah. Just, yeah just, just, just like demote yourself to sleeping partner and fuck off to the Seychelles. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, perfect. I don't know whether, you know, I don't know whether those kinds of places exist in this world. But That's true, yeah. I'm, sh- uh-huh. I'm sure there's somewhere nicer than, than where they are to go. Yeah, there might not be like holiday resorts, but there's got to be somewhere less shit than here. Yeah, I, I would hope so, but you never know. And finally, in a during credits kind of part, we also find out that Amber inherited the company. So happy endings all round. Paris, Paris Hilton inherits the Hilton Jinko uh, dynasty. Yeah. Um, for as long as our brothers are lettered. For sure. Um, this was originally conceived as the middle part of a trilogy. The middle part of a trilogy? The middle oh, yeah. part. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I see that. I see that. Uh, it was to be prequel next, uh, which obviously were, were, what, 12, 13 years down the line. That hasn't transpired. I don't imagine yeah. it will at this point. No. But yeah, I don't, I don't know if I need more of this world. Certainly the world nah, before. 
because Come we've on, had a fair we've good. had a fair old wacker backstory. I don't know. I feel like there's something there's something about the world that where I feel like there could be so many other elements to it and I think it's I really think it just comes back to that kind of comic book feel and I'm not usually a comic book fan but this Mm -hmm. has got that darker element to it which obviously I really like and Mm -hmm. I feel like this is the type of thing I could get hooked on if they did like little spin-off things yeah yeah and with that we're out on repo the genetic opera so Andy yeah I feel like we've gone on a little bit of a journey in this conversation. Um, (laughs) So you did say that um, on first viewing, this wasn't really for you. Second viewing didn't really do much in terms of kind of changing that. Has this conversation done anything to kind of talk you around anymore? (sighs) You know, not really. It's maybe made some of the story a little bit clearer towards the end, but I don't know. I think, like I say, there's a lot of it that I like about this is some performances I think are really, really strong. Like I said, Anthony Head, Paul Sorvino, and Sarah Brightman's performances in particular. As a musical, I don't really get it. I don't, like, we've kind of touched on this briefly, I don't think the songs are particularly memorable. I don't think they're well written. That's what that's what jarred me about the whole film, and because the whole film is so reliant on the, the sung material, it doesn't quite pull it off for me but i think it looks pretty good for the most part like i think the production design's great on it but i didn't really do massively much to change my mind and to be honest the same kind of vibe i got from this kind of followed into the devil's carnival okay um, which i also didn't like i think zoe it's interesting that you chose this and you also said that like in general you are not massively into musicals I think that's interesting because maybe because musicals aren't your thing, you went into it with less expectations of what a musical kind of could or should be. <laughs> I don't mean like I don't mean that in that way. It's just like it's just like it's just like you know if you if, like if you don't think that certain boxes should be ticked or it needs to fit a certain format, then maybe something that like a musical enthusiast would be annoyed by might bother you less. No, I think that could be true actually. Because yeah, I'm not. I'm I'm actually now trying to rack my brains of a. A musical that I like and the only thing that honestly the only thing that really pops into my head is um the Buffy episode once okay. more with feeling which I remember as a teen I would watch at home from school that was the thing I put on because I was like oh yeah this is and looking back on it that's pretty shit as well <laughs> um and I don't think I've watched I mean it's good it is good but you know like lyrics and everything are a bit questionable in that (laughs) and I think maybe this was quite a you know a nostalgic thing for me when I watched it and yeah I don't think I honestly have any knowledge about musicals or any expectations in my head musicals are supposed to be shit so that's why I'm like this is so good (laughs) well then um i would say that i was like kind of 50 50 on this and i like it more than we've talked about it um which is always kind of the best way to come away from a conversation like this um yeah i think this is pretty interesting and a lot of the kind of gore and some of the visual stuff nods to some of the saw sequels that i particularly like mm-hmm. and things like that um in terms of it being the mid part of a trilogy i'm not certain i have a massive appetite for seeing any <laughs> kind of depiction of what happened before this like i think that we yeah. see enough of that in this um but 
yeah, there's a whole story in there about what happens with that company because, like you say, um, the other two siblings are not going to take kindly to where this ends up. Um, whether I want to see that in an entire film, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, no, I thought this was pretty interesting. I thought it was a really good choice. I'm really curious to know what um, the listeners make of it as well. Yeah, I'm interesting to know because it's it's a film that I don't think many, I don't see many people talking about it and. <laughs> Maybe there's a reason for that, but it's it is a really really fun film. It's a bit complicated, but <laughs> I mean I don't think that matters. Like I think it's a it's the type of film that you know you listen to one of the songs and you get drunk and you're screaming the awful awful lyrics at each other. Well, when COVID fucks off, but screaming the awful <laughs> lyrics at one another, drunk at like three a.m. I mean, I am anyway, <laughs> to Another... myself in the mirror. <laughs> For the yeah. record, actually, I prefer this to stage fright. Fuck off. Stage fright's amazing. Like, I understand that, you know, that, like, I think that I think that we've all had our perspective on this one a little bit, but let's not go saying things that are just fucking outlandish. <laughs> <laughs> um... Zoe, what does twenty twenty one hold for Zobo with a shotgun? Um, that is a good question. I am unfortunately all three of the things that I'm working on at the moment are top secret, Ooh, and I'm okay. not allowed to um, mention any of them. I can mention that uh, I'm going to go and join Mike on Evolution of Horror soon to talk about uh, human centipede 2 which okay. i'm very excited so yeah with dan martin as well so that'll be fun and then Excellent. other than that just working on some more youtube videos um and podcast season three on new french extremity is going to be Ooh. coming soon cool. when i can be bothered to edit all the shit i've got that's okay but that but that's that stuff's kind of banked though yeah, that's all banked. Yeah, cool. yeah it's okay. coming, coming soon. Okay, so sounds like there's a lot of cool stuff coming up then. Where can everyone find you? Um, usually just on Twitter, Zobo with Shotgun, or head over to ZoboWithashotgun.com for writing from um, my lovely Zobo with a Shotgun team and a few from myself as well. Amazing. Cool. Zoe, this has been great. Thanks for, uh, thanks for taking the time to do this again. Thank you so much. I would sing an outro, but it will literally kill everyone's ears. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, well, Thank you for doing this, man. So a very welcome return for Zoe then. I really loved that. Uh, my head's still reeling, actually, from all those revelations there. I feel like I've been punched repeatedly. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I need to go back and uh, rewatch the last half hour of that just to see how much of anything that we said actually ties in or makes mm. sense. I get the impression that everyone is either going to hail us as being absolute geniuses or they're all just going to call us idiots for completely misunderstanding the third act revelations of that film. So what you should definitely do, Mitch, is you should go and watch those last 30 minutes and come back to me. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll try and get I'll try and get my facts straight um, and get my understanding kind of properly bedded in by Monday's minisode. Yeah, good because I'm not going back. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. And speaking of Monday's minisode, uh, we will be back in your feeds once again with the second minisode of 2021. 
we'll be doing all the usual stuff there we will be talking about everything that we've been watching i promised that i was going to get some stuff watched this week i am already loaded up oh amazing brilliant many many things to discuss um we will be checking back in with your nature gone wild side quest mm-hmm. we will be taking a look at your feedback we'll be playing mitch's pitches and we will be letting you know all you need to know about next week's episode which i think is going to raise a few eyebrows yeah i'm really not looking forward to fending off all the chat that we're going to get but in terms of the actual recording and the actual actually revisiting the film i can't wait if you want to get in touch with us between now and then you can do that through all the usual channels facebook and instagram or strong language violent scenes you can tweet us at strong violent pc and email strong language violent scenes at gmail.com also don't forget our facebook group the chud locker is ever expanding and the chat in there is really really great lots and lots of lovely people with a lot of knowledge of some very very weird films if you fancy uh joining in on that just search the chud locker on facebook unsurprisingly that name wasn't taken when i set it up and we're very easy to find <laughs> also if you messages on any platform you can almost guarantee that we'll get back to you pretty quickly now that we're all back in lockdown again yeah yeah i mean what the hell else am i doing i'm definitely not gonna let a message sit for a few hours i'm gasping for human interaction yeah like if i pick my phone up and it buzzes and it's not like from an identifiable person if it's like from Domino's, i'm just like fuck off Domino's. uh i'm more inclined to be like thanks for the information on these deals they sound great but how are you <laughs> that's business Domino's. <laughs> Patreon ID, tell the world about it. Uh, we've got one. Patreon.com forward slash strong language violent scenes. Badges and stuff coming soon. Yeah, yeah, loads of stuff. Um, loads of tiers there as well. And uh, some Patreon only content upcoming very soon. We're kind of just uh, greasing the wheels on the Patreon uh, for the start of a new year. So we're putting a wee plan together and there'll be some more stuff hitting your feeds very soon. Exciting stuff. However, we're back in the wider world on Monday with another mini So Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chats. Goodbye. Bye, guys. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.